Welcome to Superthink on X-Ray FM. I'm Eric Klein. Superthink put on another live storytelling event just before Valentine's Day, so this episode is called Love and Gratitude, or Love on the Rocks. Jefferson Smith warmed up the room with a little story about a different kind of emotional attachment, the love a man feels for his brand new phone. There was a time when I was downloading a lot of apps. Four different apps for the weather, three indistinguishable ones for taking photos, and the kind of shiny promise of the apps for getting organized. The kind of apps you get that make you think you're going to do really productive things. Like like when you go, when you were in third grade and you were about to start fourth grade and you went and you got your new Trapper Keeper and it was like, this is the year I'm going to be totally organized. I'm going to keep all my assignments in exactly the right folders. I'm not going to peel off the little edges of the Trapper Keeper and like have it flap up and kind of ruin it by, you know, the third month. This year is going to be great. And then, of course, it wasn't. I got a lot of apps. I got an app that... There's so many ways for a guy to kill some time and put some distance between himself and the real world while staring at a tiny screen. There was one app I used more than once. Jefferson had stumbled upon something that brought him and his wife closer together. It was called iPeriod. And it was an app that kept track of your menstrual cycle. Now, you should understand, in my family, I'm married, and in my family, we had only one smartphone. My wife just got here and gave me the don't tell this story any further sign. This is a story of gratitude. Jefferson was thankful, but one can only guess precisely where his intimate tale was headed before it had to stop in the name of privacy. What I'll add is that what could possibly be more romantic than an app that you share with your partner, keeping track together of your window on the ancient natural rhythms that have bonded couples on Earth for as long as couples have needed bonding. An app on the iPhone called iPeriod. There are three options for flow levels, severity of cramps, and boxes to check for spotting love connection for you. But then the private bond between Jefferson and his wife was made even more public than talking about it in front of a bar full of people. Jefferson, who was a public person in Portland to begin with, discovered that his phone had automatically signed him up for iPeriod's community discussion forum. Uh, I didn't opt in. I was opted in merely by having a phone and having downloaded the iPeriod, and I panicked. I, I couldn't do it. It was, I've been in the blogosphere. It is mostly where there's hate-filled things. This was a much more loving environment. Many questions, lots of curiosity, some answers, and my fear and panic. And so I panicked and I, I had to drop away. That's most of the story. I'm pretty much done. But it did make me appreciate ever so slightly more uh, the menstrual cycle, uh, and, which is a miracle. Uh, it's a miracle. This Valentine's, in commemoration of the couples and the flowers and the candy, and the high-stakes day of dating and ritualized shaming of single people, we bring you two stories of love on the rocks and gratitude. Our first is from David Van Veen. David is a digital strategist in Portland with a story about how his budding romance was saved by his redneck brother. His words, not mine. And in our second true story of gratitude from Martha Grover, Martha's storybook romance runs headlong into crippling, painful reality. And I'm trying to think, like, how am I going to break this to John? Like, this isn't working. Stay tuned. Portland is a tiny bubble of urban delights, tech jobs and walkable neighborhoods and fancy donuts. Living here, it's sometimes easy to forget about the rest of Oregon, where there's hunting and fishing in the woods and gun stores and Walmart where the woods used to be. 
From my super limited perspective, living in this small city, the rest of the state I call home is a little more blue collar and a little more red state than anywhere else I've ever been. David Van Veen knows something about the other Oregon because of his brother and his girlfriend. David usually is single, but when his story begins, he's happy about his relationship with the woman he's dating, even though she lives 45 minutes away in rural Newburgh. Paige and I met, like every modern couple, uh, in a bar. And by in a bar, I mean on OkCupid. Uh, I sent her a very lewd message originally, uh, which is not something I usually do, but she thought it was funny, and so she wrote me back. She never actually looked at my profile, which uh, is a shame because my profile was hilarious. I've taken it down now. Paige was working on a farm in Newburgh and saving money for a move to Portland when disaster struck in that dark time between Christmas and New Year's. So December 27th, uh, I was laying in bed at about 10 o'clock at night. I know it's kind of early, but sometimes I get a little bit depressed and want to watch some dance moms. Uh, I, <laughs> and suddenly my phone rings, and on the other, other end of the phone is Paige Robbins. When I answered the phone call, uh, Paige was rightfully a little bit hysterical and told me suddenly that she had just ran into a fence. Uh, with her with her car, she and it was the car that hit the fence, and we chatted a little bit about it. And I, you know, as a as a half decent boyfriend, I think, kind of tried to just calm her down and let her know that hey, uh, you know, it's okay. Your car is is wrecked. It's in a it's in a field somewhere, uh, but you're fine and nobody's hurt. And you know, you're home now. You got to ride home. Everything's fine. We'll deal with it in the morning. David and Paige had not been dating for very long at this point only about a month, and they had no notion of carrying on a long-distance relationship for very much longer. If Paige's car was completely wrecked, then her plans to save money and move to Portland might have been wrecked as well. She is on a very, very tight budget, uh, and that budget did not account for her suddenly running into a, a fence with her car. So in the morning, uh, I told her that we'd get it worked out. I was there for um, doing all these things that I don't normally do in relationships and like being a good boyfriend. And, uh, and so in the morning, uh, I called. I called who I always call anytime that I have any sort of problem. I called Krista. Uh, Krista is my mom. And 28 years ago, she decided to have me at 22. So if you do the math, that means that we have now been celebrating her 40th birthday 10 times. Uh, my mom told me uh, that, that, that everything would be fine and that what I should do is, uh, is, is actually call Devin. Uh, and Devin, well, how do I explain Devin? Um, Devin is uh, six foot, I would say two or three. Uh, he's about 300 pounds. Uh, Devin is covered in tattoos. On one arm, Devin has a shotgun, uh, and, and around his shotgun, it says, when you come for mine, bring yours. Uh, he's got tattoos on his, on his knuckles. So on, on one hand, uh, he has ye. On one hand, he has ha. Uh, and, and that's only six letters on eight fingers. So on each pinky, uh, he put a, a little piece of barbed wire. Devin is my not-so-little little brother. And uh, it, looking at him, uh, you would probably imagine that Devin is a redneck, and you would be absolutely right. Uh, he's four years younger than me, and for about four years of his adult life, Devin did not wear sleeves. Uh, we <laughs> That's a joke also. I mean, it's true. Like, that's a true thing uh, that happened. Uh, and 
he he but he's 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 he he has some redeeming qualities <laughs> um and i'll tell you about him one is that uh, he has a huge heart and he's always there for people. We have a story in my family that says that when my mom goes into a retirement home, which probably won't be too long from now, uh, <laughs> she, uh, Devin, or I'm going to be the one that ends up paying for it, uh, but Devin's going to be the one that actually goes and visits her and, and takes care of her. His heart is huge. Uh, the other thing is that Devin is incredibly mechanically inclined. So where I went into business, Devin is a truck driver, uh, and does really well at it, um, and has wanted to be a truck driver ever since he was uh, uh, really little. And that's, that's not a joke. I'm actually very proud of him for, for what he does. So she told me to call Devin, and, uh, and, and so figure we're on, we're on day two here of the, of the, of the fence accident. Um, I actually just sent Devin a text saying, hey, Paige got in a, in a wreck. And Devin responds with, where is it at? I'll get my trailer. I can come pick it up. Do you need me to do it? Now, this is without me asking Devin anything. Devin lives in Monmouth. Paige is in Newburgh. Monmouth is about an hour to an hour and a half away. Within two hours of me sending that first text to Devin, just mentioning that Paige had gotten in a wreck and, and just kind of asking for some very generic advice, Devin had already rounded up three or four of his friends, uh, shouted out Yeehaw quite a few times, I'm pretty sure, and, uh, and, and, and had taken his trailer all the way up to where Paige's car was at in Newburgh. So he went with all of his friends, went to Paige's house, got her keys, uh, had to work the next day, but still came up and did this, got the car out of the field, and brought it back down to Monmouth with him. Monmouth, Oregon, population around 10,000, where David's brother orders the parts to fix David's girlfriend's car. They cost around 500 bucks, and now they need to be picked up in Troutdale, Oregon. Enter David's mom's boyfriend. This is where uh, Greg enters the picture. A little bit about Greg. Well, actually, a little bit about my mom. My mom, sorry, mom. My mom has a tattoo of a gorilla um, on her, and it's not a small tattoo. Uh, it was about as big as my head. And for those of you who maybe are not here tonight, I have a very large head. <laughs> And, and if you've, you've ever met Greg, you would suddenly realize where the inspiration for the gorilla came from. Um, Greg's arms are about as big as my legs, I would say, um, which my family makes fun of me for chicken legs, but so be it. And, uh, and, and, and he very much looks like a very pale, pale gorilla. But Greg also has some very redeeming qualities about him. Uh, as soon as my little brother had said that, hey, there's some parts out in Troutdale, Greg immediately got on the text little circle between my family and said, hey, I'll pick up the parts, no problem. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take them right there. So that was about a four-hour round trip that Greg did. Got the parts down to Devin, and, uh, and Devin suddenly put the car all back together and did his work magic, basically, is, is how I... That's the only way that I can think about what Devin does. I work on computers, and Devin does magic with cars. That's the only thing that I can really understand. And so he then puts it all together and calls Paige up, and this is Saturday by now. This is, this is day four, that Devin now has completely reassembled the car from, from, from parts that Greg had picked up and brought it back to Paige, and now Paige suddenly has this brand new car. And this story is not really about Paige, right? This story is about my family that has suddenly come together around me and, and, helped, and helped me uh, uh, bring my, my, or help my girlfriend out. Paige wants to move to Portland, and that was in our plans. And if my family wasn't able to do this, uh, uh, 
Paige would, I, I imagine she'd be back in Delaware. I don't know. We probably wouldn't be together or anything like that. Paige and I are still together. She moved to Portland last week on her tiny, tiny shoestring budget and is here. And it is all because uh, my family was able to come together and really do something amazing and special for me. So uh, I would like to give them a huge thank you uh, for everything that you did uh, for me and Paige and uh, everything there. So that's it. Thank you very much. Because of their help, David and Paige spent Valentine's together in Portland, the way urban couples do. The weekend after that, Paige and David and his mom and her boyfriend Greg went to a poultry swap in Recreal. Recreal, Oregon, population 77. You're listening to Superthink on the radio on X-Ray FM in Portland and online at superthink.org. This is the Valentine's Day show. When it happened live on the stage, it was emceed by Jefferson Smith. Between storytellers, Jefferson read from little heart-shaped pieces of paper written on anonymously by members of the audience. Tell us about a time when someone else's love blindsided you when I went out for coffee and came back in love. When my mom told me you're a strong, sensitive person and I know you'll get through this. My best friend, we dated for a time and have loved each other since. No matter what, he has always been supportive of my decision, loves me unconditionally. We were at Dots on Clinton. The way she laughed, the water in her eyes seemed holy. I felt my chest open up. I think I read that one a second time. I really like it. We were at Dots on Clinton. The way she laughed, the water in her eyes seemed holy. I felt my chest open up. Dots on Clinton. Don't forget, our second story of Love on the Rocks is told by Martha Grover. I'd first uh, want to thank my boyfriend, Bernard, who we met at Dots on our first date. And um, he's wonderful. I love him so much. And he's really a champ because he's been here since 6 p.m. And he's now going to listen to a story about my ex-boyfriend. So he's wonderful. Um, I'm going to tell you a story about a walking trip I took with my ex-boyfriend, and uh, John, in 2011. So um, raise your hand if you've seen Disney's um, Little Mermaid. Okay, so Little Mermaid falls in love with a prince, sees the sea witch, and uh, makes a deal, becomes a human, loses her voice, and she gets the prince in the end, and it's happy, you know, happy ever after. Well, my story is more like the Hans Christian Andersen version of that story. Have you, how, who's read that real story? Okay, so you know if you've read the story that di- why Disney changed it completely, which is that the Little Mermaid falls in love with the prince, goes to see the sea witch to make a deal to become a human. And she says, okay, well, if you want to become a human, first we're going to cut your tongue out. And then we're going to give you legs. But the legs, every time you step, there'll be like 10,000 knives like sticking you in the bottom of your feet. And um, so she says, okay, I'm going to do it for love because I fall in love with the prince. And um, she doesn't, sadly, she doesn't get the prince in the end and he marries someone else and she um, turns into sea foam, which is what happens to mermaids when they die, apparently. And so that is kind of the framework for my story. However, obviously, I'm not sea foam, so, uh, but it does relate. The stabbing in the feet relates. Okay, so it's a walking trip, right? So the backstory is in 2008, I was diagnosed with something, uh, with something called Cushing's disease which is Cliff Notes version, uh, Cushing's is very rare. It's an endocrine disorder, and it causes death eventually if you don't get cured. Uh, diabetes, strokes, heart attacks, high blood pressure, osteoporosis, um, depression and anxiety. Uh, but the worst symptoms of Cushing's is the physical um, 
things that you can see. It's very disfiguring. I gained 70 pounds. It causes rapid and extreme weight gain. Um, most of my hair fell out. I uh, started growing facial hair. So, And I walked with a cane a lot of the time. So needless to say, I did not feel very sexy for the three years that I had Cushing's disease. And the thing with John, my ex-boyfriend, is that he was the first person I dated after I was cured by getting my adrenal glands out. And he checked off a lot of boxes for me. He was someone that I had known for five years. I respected him. He was a very kind person. He was handsome. I had a crush on him for years. He was independently wealthy. That didn't hurt. Um, He was a chef. I really liked him, but more than anything... What him being attracted to me meant to me was that I was okay, that I was healthy, that I was going to be all right. Him saying, I want to be with you, meant that I could leave the watery underworld of the chronically ill and become a human again. And we started dating when I was living in San Francisco, going to grad school, and we had a long-distance relationship. Things were going well at the time, and he called me before I went back to Portland for my spring break when I was living in San Francisco and said, let's go on this trip. And I said, what is it? And he said, well, we're going to walk to, we're going to go to wine country, and then we're going to walk to a B&B and then spend the night, and the next day we're going to walk to a winery and spend the night, and the next day we're going to walk back to the bus and go back to Portland. And I was like, yes, sign me up, because um, you know, when you're in love, you're going to sacrifice anything. And I'm just like, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. Well, what I wasn't focusing on was the fact that um, the first day we would walk 25 miles, And the second day, we were going to walk 25 miles. And the third day, we were going to walk 15 miles back to get on the bus. And um, 65 miles in three days. And only nine months previous, I've been walking with a cane. But I'm like, I'm going to do it because that's what you do when you're in love. And so my mom picked me up from the airport. And um, she's driving me back to my house. And um, she's like, what are your plans for this week? And I said, oh, I'm going to go on a walking trip with John. She goes, what's that mean? And I told her. And she goes, no. You cannot do that. She goes, your toenails are going to fall off. <laughs> and um, I knew what she was thinking was like nine months previously. She had gone down to San Francisco, stayed with me for three weeks, slept on my floor while I was bedridden and I could barely walk and blah, blah, blah. And, I'm just, and she's saying, oh, you're not healthy and da, 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 da. Well, I don't know if, about you guys, but um, when someone tells me I can't do something, and especially when it's my mom, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. So I just, I just let Nina, Nina, Nina know I'm going to do it. And she had had, the reason she told me that my toenails were going to fall off because she had walked the Portland Marathon and her toenails had fallen off. And so she was like really worried about my toenails. Um, so John had told, so the next day I went over to John's house and John had emailed me and said, okay, these are the things you need. You need um, a backpack, check. You need good walking shoes, check. You need um, raincoat, rain gear, a change of clothes, and some like food for the trip. And I was like, check, 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 got all that stuff. I show up to, ha- to his house, and he's like, that's your backpack? And like, he had a full-on backpacking backpack, and I was like, I kind of knew it wasn't the greatest backpack. It was a Jansport, but <laughs> it had like padded, it had padded shoulder pads, and it had a thing, and it had a thing here. But I realized later, those were like, to make you think you have a sporty backpack. And um, so we'll get to that later. Also, I had the rain gear, but then, like, my shoes, I didn't realize this at the time. The shoes were barely worn. They were from, like, four years ago. Well, the thing is, when, you're, when you have something like Cushing's or you're pregnant or you have a rapid weight gain, your feet can grow. 
Well, I didn't realize that over the years I'd been growing, like my, I'd been getting more and more, like buying bigger shoes. And these were from before I was sick. Well, I had put them on in my room and walked around and they felt fine. And they were like brand new. So I just put them in my bag and I, you know, came down. So that'll come back later. So we start off, we get on the bus, we get off. And the first like four hours, I'm just like, I'm in love. It's great. Like if you've ever been to wine country, it was March, it was Oregon. It was like blue sky and big puffy clouds. And we're going through farmland and I'm like singing show tunes. Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Wouldn't you think my collection's complete? Wouldn't you think I'm the girl, the girl who has everything? And I was like so in love and I was so happy. And then the backpack started hurting and um, it was really digging into me and the, these things weren't doing any good, the straps. And so we transferred like everything heavy into John's backpack and all the clothes and light stuff into mine. My feet started really hurting. And I didn't say anything. I didn't, this was his idea. He was paying for everything. We had just gotten into this relationship and I wanted to put it on a good face. Um, but my feet were really hurting really, really bad. And I was like, nope, we're going to do the walking trip and I'm not going to complain. And plus, like, I'm a tough cookie. I've gone through a lot of chronic pain in my life. I can handle this, right? So it's getting dark. We're on mile 20 and my feet really fucking hurt. And we get to the driveway of the the B&B and we're walking up and it turns out to be like a two mile straight up driveway and it's getting dark and it starts to pour. And it had been like sprinkling or whatever, but then it was like dumping and we are drenched and my face is bright red and like steam is like coming off my face. And this couple drive this in a car comes up with their lights on and they roll down their window and they're like looking at us and they're like, we're going to the, are you guys going to the B&B? Like, we can give you a ride. And I just heard these words come out of my mouth. No, we're on a walking trip. We're going to do this. And we refuse the ride. Anyway, so we were determined. We got in there. We, like, we had a bottle of wine. I don't remember drinking it. It was gone like that. We peeled our clothes off. We went to bed. Woke up in the morning. Woke up in the morning. Reality was setting in. I had blisters, not just on the heels of my feet, like all around my feet, blisters. I was, all my clothes were wet. John had been smart and put his clothes in a plastic bag. I had not. So everything I had with me was drenched. He gave me a pair of like dry socks, which was really nice. Put on my, put on my wet clothes and walk. And we start walking down and I'm realizing like these shoes don't fucking fit me. Like they don't fit me. And I don't know why they don't fit me. But every step is like knives stabbing me in the bottom of my feet. And I'm trying to think like, how am I going to break this to John? Like this isn't working. And he, he, I hadn't really been complaining that much, but I had kind of started taking on this like gate at this point. I was like, like Igor, like I couldn't really hide the fact that I could like barely walk. And so he's like, okay, I say, I don't really, these shoes don't fit me. And he's like, what? Why did you bring shoes that don't fit you? And I, I didn't really have an explanation at that point because I didn't know. So I was just like, I'm a dumbass, like my backpack, like I don't really know. And um, he's like, well, why don't we, our next town we go to is Yamhill. So why don't we see if they have a shoe store there? Well, I don't know if you've been to Yamhill, but they don't have a shoe store in Yamhill, Oregon. It's basically a Mexican restaurant, a general store, and a stationary slash espresso stand where we went and got us some coffee and stood under an awning while it poured and figured out what we were going to do about my shoes. And he's like, why don't I cut them open? I was like, no, they're like almost brand new. I've hardly ever worn them. Like, let's just see if we can do this. So we head out of town, and we don't even get like half a mile out of town before I'm like, fuck. 
it's like so I can't even tell you like it is so incredibly painful to walk at this point and I remember back to the little mermaid and that story had a huge impact on me as a kid I remember the stabbing in the feet thing and I thought this is like a metaphor for my whole life like John, it, the whole story is about sacrificing for love, but also like, don't date out of your station in life. Like, I grew, I had seven kids in my family, and we grew, we were in a trailer, and like, I'm dating someone that's independently wealthy. Like, you deserve this. This is what you get, you know. And John was like, he looked at me. He's like, we gotta cut open those shoes. So I snapped out of my fantasy world for a second. I was like, okay. So he cuts the shoes open, and immediately my foot was like, boing. Like, out of the front of the shoes. Like, obvious, they were way too small for me. I felt immediate relief, but then I had to, like... Then I'm walking with, like, floppy, fucked-up sandals. And so we try that. He's, like, had to slow way down because I'm so walking so slow. And we're like, he's like, okay, let's, um, let's hitchhike. Well, no one would pick us up. Like, I wouldn't pick me up. I had, like, weird shoes on. And, like, he had a long beard. We were just like, what the fuck we're even doing out there in the middle of nowhere? So that lasted about 45 minutes. And we're like, okay, let's keep going. And we weren't even, like, halfway towards the, the winery at that point. He's like, okay. He pulled up his iPhone. He's like, let's bushwhack through these woods. It'll save us time if we go off the road into these woods. And I didn't like the word bushwhack because, like, we don't have machetes. Like, I didn't know. But I was so tired. I was just like, okay, whatever. So we go on this logging road, and we're, like, walking for, like, 45 minutes up in these woods. And, um, and also, just in the background, I'm in a lot of pain. And we get to the top, and it's just a clearing, and then there's a big gate, and it's just, like, 20-foot-tall fence with razor wire, and it's, like, uh, it's a vineyard, and there's no way around it. So I'm like, let's go back to the road, and just go back to the road and go the way we know. He's like, no, because then we'll be backtracked so much. Like, let's just keep on going through the woods up to this road. I was like, okay. Because, you know, you're in love, right? And you want to, like, do what your partner wants you to do. Good attitude, good attitude. Um, so we go through the woods, and I remember thinking, like, oh, this would be so much more, it, would be, it was beautiful. I mean, it was like fucking rainforest, beautiful environment, and it would have been a really fun trip had I packed the proper gear, but I didn't. Um, we get down to a stream. We get into this, like, clearing area, and, and we're, again, we need, need to go across it, but then there's, like, this stream. It's not just a stream. It's, like, a 10-foot-deep ditch with rushing brown water because it had been raining for a couple of days and I knew that if I walked down into that with open-toed shoes that had already been poked with sticks and stuff, like, I would be soaked. And I said, I can't cross this. He's like, okay, well, let's just follow the stream. So then we follow the stream even more out of our way. We've already been in the woods for, like, two hours. And luckily, it fanned out into this marshy area. And so we didn't have to actually get into the water. But then it was just like muddy slog. And it was like, I, you, you guys have been in Oregon. It's like blackberries and cattails and like deep mud. And at one point, I am literally crawling on my hands and knees. And I'm like trying not to laugh. <laughs> because this is crazy. And um, I have a condition now where if I don't take the right medication, like my medication, like I could go into a coma and then like, what would John do? Like have to like drag my limp body out of the woods for like miles. And then we're on private property. Like we're on private property. And if the property owner came by, he'd be like, what are you guys doing? And we'd have to go, we're on a walking trip. (laughs) This is our vacation. And I'd be like, I'm in love. 
And um, so we made it through. We go back up into the woods to get to the road. And we came to a fence. And it wasn't that high of a fence. It was only like that high and it had a little bit of barbed wire. But it was like I hit the wall mentally. And I, I looked to John and I said, I'm going to have a meltdown. And I didn't know what I meant by meltdown at that point. But he just goes, okay, let's eat some cheese. And if you knew John, it would be even more funny because he's like a chef and he's like, help me over the fence. And he, we're, all, we're totally wet. We're soaked to the bone. But he like took off his jacket and like laid it down on the ground. And we had some baguette and cheese. And I was like whimpering. I was like, ah. And um, I thought this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever done. But I'm doing it. You know, like this is the hardest thing I've ever done since I've been sick. I walked 25 miles yesterday I walked almost 25 miles today, and I'm fucking doing it. And I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for him. And I wouldn't have known what I was capable about if he hadn't asked me to do this fucked up stupid thing. (laughs) And he didn't know what I was thinking at the time, but he looked over at me and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, honey, I'm really proud of you. And it was very sweet. And we packed up our stuff And I don't even know how we missed it, but we turned around and literally 10 feet behind us was another 20-foot-tall fence with razor wire at the top, which was another part of the same vineyard. Long story short, we made it to the winery that night. And um, the woman that owned the winery took pity on us because we were so pathetic. And she actually, the next day, drove us all the way to Portland (laughs) from McMinnville. So we didn't have to walk the last 15 miles. But um, I am still grateful for John, even though we're not together anymore. I am still grateful for him to challenge, for challenging me. And also grateful for, for my mom for telling me that I couldn't do it. Uh, but she was right in one thing. All my toenails did fall off. Thank you so much. That's it for Superthank. Our next live event is coming up. Find us on Facebook or our website, superthank.org, for more information. Help spread the gratitude. Take a moment and review this podcast on iTunes. It really helps. The music is by Poddington Bear. I'm Eric Klein. Thanks to all the people who make Superthank possible. And thank you for listening.